We are going to be celebrating Purim just next week, and uh, we're going to have the opportunity to be Mekayim, all the mitzvahs hayom. And as we know, the Rambam tells us that there are four different mitzvahs that we have to observe. We have a mitzvah of Mikra Megillah, which is the first of the mitzvahs. We have a mitzvah of Mishlach Manos, Matanos Le'avyonim. But also on top of all of that, we have a mitzvah of Su'udas Purim. So when we talk about the mitzvah of Mikra Megillah, by the way, the most important thing that we need to remember is the Gemara says there's a mitzvah of Mikra Megillah, Balayla, and there's another mitzvah of Mikra Megillah, Bayom. These are two separate obligations, and I was astounded a couple of years ago when somebody mentioned to me that they heard the Megillah at night, and therefore they're going to work during the day, that's it, they took care of it, and I said, no, 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 you don't understand, there's two different chayuvim, two different obligations, one to hear the Megillah Balayla, one to hear the Megillah Bayom, and it is important that we do our best to make sure that we fulfill those obligations. And as we know, as a community, we go very far out of our way to try to accommodate for even those who are unable to make it to shul, and we have people who will go visit others' homes and be able to lay in the Megillah for them. So as we know, as we mentioned, one of the four mitzvah sayom is the mitzvah of Su'udas Purim. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit tonight, because there's a lot of ambiguity when it comes to the mitzvah of Su'udas Purim and what exactly it entails. On Purim, as we know, the focus seems to be very much on physical simcha. As the Megillah tells us, Yemei Mishteh Simcha, which sounds like days of just festive gala celebration, whereas when it comes to Hanukkah, we have Yemei Halel Vehoda'a. So why is that? Why do we have this differentiation between Halel Vehoda'a on Hanukkah and Mishteh Simcha on Purim? And the Mishnaburah explains the reason why is because, he quotes it in the name of the Levush, the reason why is because on Purim, the whole Gzeira, the whole decree against the Jewish people was La Hashmid, La Harog, Ula Abed, Eskol HaYehudim. Their idea was to physically eradicate the Jewish religion, the Jewish people, from the world. They wanted to rid the world of the Jewish problem, the final solution. And therefore, as a result of that, we have to celebrate in a very physical way, to show that HaKadosh Baruch Hu saved us physically, and that is why we emphasize the physical aspect of the celebration, and we make it a day of Yemei Mishteh V'Simcha. We want to celebrate in a way that is physicality at its best as well. When it comes to Hanukkah, as we know, it was not so much the Hashmid, the Harogu, the Abed, but rather, as the Midrashim tell us, it was more the idea that they wanted to take away our Jewish practices. They wanted to ban Rismila. They wanted to brand, brand Rish Chodesh and all kinds of different things. And as a result of that, the way that we show the reaction to that celebration is, we do spiritual things to show that the spiritual salvation was something that we are so grateful for. So this is what it's all about. The Archas Chaim that was written by one of the Gedolei HaRishonim wonders in the name of Rav Haigon. Rav Haigon was before the Rishonim. He was in the period of the Gaonim. So the Sefer Archos Chaim quotes from Rav Haigon the following question. When we talk about the mitzvah of Sudas Purim, am I able to fulfill my obligation of Sudas Purim Balayla? Or does it have to be done by Yom? So we have multiple obligations when it comes to the mitzvahs on Purim. We have, as we mentioned, the mitzvah of Mikra Megillah that has to be done by Layla, has to be repeated by Yom. We have a mitzvah of Mishlach Manos, Matanos Le'evyonim, and Su'udas Purim. So Su'udas Purim, is that something that is only limited to the daytime, or is it something that I can already fulfill already at night? So the answer to that, he writes, is based on the following. What if somebody makes a shavua, somebody makes a swear, a promise, that they are not going to eat anything throughout the duration of the day of Purim? What am I supposed to do? And the answer that Rav Haigon said is, we see here that the mitzvah of Purim is very important. If I made a shavua that I'm going to abstain from eating during the day of Purim, then instead of violating my shavua, I'm allowed to have a su'uda balayla and take care of my mitzvah, which would seem to be an indication 
that I'm able to fulfill my obligation of Sudas Purim already Balayla. And the Magen Avram quotes this the Halacha as well. And he says, B'Sefer Tanya Rabasi Kasav, Hanishba lehisanos bepurim yamod b'shvuoso. He should not disavow his shvuah. He should not violate his shvuah. He should rather fast during the day of Purim. And writes the Magen Avram, he should have his suuda balayla, and that should be enough. Now, this is certainly not ideal. After all, the Gemara says in Maseches Megillah, Sudas Purim she'achla balayla lo yatsa yedei chovaso. The Gemara says very clearly, if I have the Sudas Purim balayla, I am not in fulfillment of my obligation. As the Gemara learns from a Pasuk, the Pasuk says, Purim has to be Yemei Mishteh Simcha. Yemei means during the daytime, I have to have a celebration with Mishteh Simcha. And therefore the Gemara says that I should really make sure that I have a Su'uda Bayom with a celebration Bayom. But the Magad Avram says, under these circumstances, if somebody made a Shvua, then we say it's better not to break the Shvua and to have a Su'uda Balayla, and that will be the best case scenario under the circumstances. So again, it's important for us to do whatever we can to have a sudas purim. If we have no opportunity, let's say last year there was somebody in our shul who had to have a surgery. There was no way of changing it. The surgeon was only available on Purim day, and he was not able to eat the entire day of Purim because a couple of hours before the surgery, they told him not to eat. The night before was okay. I told him that's exactly this case. You don't have a situation where you have Misha Misane, you didn't say that you were going to fast and promise that you were going to do so, but you have no other way to do it. And therefore, in such a case, the Magad Avram says, you can have Sudas Purim Balayla, and that will be sufficient under your circumstances. The Shari Shuva writes that when arranging the Purim Suda, it would make sense, he says, that you should do it La'achar Mincha, Bahayim The same way where we have a Shabbos table, we light candles, we try to make it a certain kind of ambiance, a certain kind of festive feeling. So too, he says, when we have the Sudas Purim, we should make sure to light candles, even though it's not Shabbos, it's not Yom Tif, but still, we should do whatever we can to have candles on the table to make sure that this is a Su'uda Chashuva. Purim, in many ways, is considered like a quasi Yom Tif And therefore, he says, it would make sense for us to go out of our way to do that, and that is quoted the Halacha and the Mishnabura Hilchas Purim as well. Now, whenever we have a mitzvah that comes Mizman Lizman, whenever we have a mitzvah that comes sporadically throughout the year, something that we do not do on an ongoing basis, we generally make the bracha of Shehechiyanu. Now make no mistake, the bracha of Shehechiyanu is something that we say by a mitzvah haba mizman lizman, which means I have a mitzvah of hadlakas neres chadaka. I only do that one time a year. I don't do it throughout the duration of the year. And therefore that is considered a mitzvah haba mizman lizman. When I say the bracha of Shehechiyanu, I'm basically thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for allowing me the opportunity to live out another year and to be healthy enough to light Neres Hanukkah once again this year, just as I did at this season of the year last year. So that's why I make a brach of Shechianu. But I got a question from Akala, who was going to the mikvah for the very first time before she got married, and she was so excited. And she said, I've been learning about this, and I'm going to the mikvah, my first opportunity to observe Taras HaMishpacha. Do I go and make a brach of Shechianu the first time I go to the mikvah? I had another woman who called a number of years ago and said, I'm baking challah for the first time. I've never done this. So she says, I'm nervous to make a bracha on the hafrasha because she says, I don't know how this is going to come out. Could turn out that everything's going to be awful. So I said, you make a bracha on the hafrasha anyway. You're still mafresh challah. Even if your challahs turn out to be terrible and inedible and they all get burned, you still do the hafrasha because you baked five pounds of challah, five pounds of flour, and that would be enough to make a bracha regardless. But what she wanted to know is, I know it may not come out great, but do I make a bracha of shechayanu for the first time that I'm actually doing hafrasha's challah on my own? That is a major machlokas in the Shulchan Aruch between the Ramah and the Shaf. When we say you make a brach of Shechianu on a mitzvah habam izman lizman, does that mean only a mitzvah that comes 
like Tkiya Shofar or Neiros Hanukkah or other mitzvahs that we do only at specific times in the year? Or is it also when I have the opportunity to observe a mitzvah for the first time in my life? Would I make a bracha on that as well? Our general custom, our general practice is that we do not. We do not make a bracha. It turns out, it seems to be a machlokis Rashi and Tosas on the Gemara, but either way, it's a machlokis the Ramah and the Shach and Hilchus Kisui Hadam, which is a very unlikely place to find it, but it makes sense because Kisui Hadam is a very unlikely mitzvah. It's not that it only comes at certain times in the year, it's that usually we are not in a situation where we have the opportunity to do Kisei Adam because we are not slaughtering animals. We don't have the ability to do it on a regular basis. So the question there became, that's what the Ramah discusses. Should I make a bracha on the mitzvah of Kisei Adam the first time in my life that I have the opportunity to do it? Not because I have been uh, stopped from doing it at any point, but because I've never been availed of the opportunity to do it until now. So that is the basic question. We generally paskin that you do not make a shechianu on those kinds of mitzvahs, on those kinds of opportunities. It is only on a mitzvah haba mizman lezman, which obviously would include the mitzvah sapurim as well. So the Shulchan Aruch writes as follows. Hakoriyas HaMegillah, one who lanes the Megillah mevarach lefanea shlalosh brachos. You are going to recite, as we know, three brachos before laning the Megillah. Number one, you make a bracha al mikra Megillah, that's the brachos mitzvah. Number two, we make a bracha sha'asanisim labosenu, because this is really a commemoration of all the great miracles that our Kaddish Baruch Hu did in the days of the Purim story. And finally, says the Shulchan Aruch, you make a bracha of Shechayanu as well. What about when I lay in the Megillah Bayom? So what do I do? Says the Shulchan Aruch, well, you made Shechayanu last night. You're not going to make a Shechayanu again today. Sound familiar? Yes? You do. So the Shulchan Aruch says you don't. So the Ramah... The Ramah, first of all, the Shulchan Aruch says the same thing by Tekiah Shofar. If you blew the Shofar the first day of Rosh Hashanah, you don't make a Shechayan on the second day, you already did it. But the Ramah disagrees. The Ramah says, Yesh Omrim af The Ramah says, our practice is that we do make a Shechayan not only by the Megillah Balayla, we make a Shechayan by the Megillah by day as well. Now, says the Mishnabura, this really is a Machlokas Arishonim, and it's a Suffolk Brachas, we're not sure exactly whether the Shulchan Aruch is right or the Ramah is right. And there's a lot on the line. If you're going to make a Shechianu, it might end up being a bracha that you're not supposed to make. It's a bracha levatela. Maybe Motsi Shem Shamayim levatela as well. So says the Mishnabura, this is why. When I make the bracha on the Shechianu, on the Mikra Megillah, I should have in mind for all the other mitzvah sayom that I'm going to perform today as well. Such as Mishlach Manos. Well, I haven't done the mitzvah Mishlach Manos since last year. I'm sure I've given my friends many gifts over the year, but that doesn't count. Because I didn't do that as a mitzvah of Mishalach Manos. Now I have a mitzvah of Mishalach Manos, which I have not had the opportunity to observe since last year Purim. And therefore, says the Mishnabur, when I make the brach of Shechianu, I should have in mind all of the other mitzvahs Hayom, and that will be all inclusive in my bracha that I'm making. So we know that one has to have a suda on Purim. As mentioned, it should take place by Yom. You should have a suda during the day. But what must be served at such a suda? The Primagadim has a discussion whether or not Bread needs to be included in the Sudas Purim. So we know that today everybody is very careful with their carbs and everybody needs to make sure that the bread intake is as little as possible. So the question is, am I able to have a Sudas Purim without bread? Of course, a Shabbos meal we're not able to have without bread because, as we know, you have to have Lecha Mishnah. A meal on Yom Tif is the same. What about Purim? We don't make Kiddush on Purim. So maybe we don't have to have bread on Purim either. That is actually a suffix in the Primagodim. And he waffles, he goes back and forth whether or not we have an obligation to do it. The Magan Avram actually comes to the conclusion that one does not have an obligation to have bread during the Su'udas Purim. That's in Simon Tafresh Tadihei. 
However, there are others who disagree. Rabbi Yaakov Emden, in the Sefer Maruk quoted by the other Achronim, writes, this is inconceivable. How can you have a su'uda without washing? There's no such thing. We know that when we make a siyam, we wash, and we know that when we have any other festive celebration, we always sit down and wash. This is the way a Jewish party runs. This is what we do. And therefore, how can we imagine it would be unthinkable to have a su'udas purim and fulfill that obligation without washing? Directly related to that is the following discussion in the Mishnabura. We know that if a person eats bread on Shabbos, which they're supposed to do, and then at the end of the meal they bench and they forget to say ritzay, so what is the halacha? The halacha is you have to repeat the benching on Shabbos. Why do you have to repeat the benching? You left there ritzay. Yeah, but why do you have to repeat it? What? So the answer is, the reason why you have to repeat it, the Shulchan Aruch explains the reason why. Since I have an obligation to have a meal with bread on Shabbos, therefore, if you don't say Ritzay, it basically undoes the whole meal that you did. Right? It's as if you didn't wash for Shabbos. So therefore, I have to repeat Ritzay. The way my father explains it, B'Shem Reb Chaim, which is a, a little backwards way of explaining it, it's counterintuitive. I don't mean backwards wrong. I just mean backwards from the way, counterintuitive from the way we would have said. Reb Chaim explained it. That really, if a person forgets Ritzay and Benching, Chazal should have been Mechaib, you'd have a whole other suit of Shabbos. But they were makel on you and they said, we're going to allow you just to bench over. That's the way Reb Chaim understood it. But that's what it means. The reason why I have to repeat the benching is because I have an obligation to eat bread and part of that obligation is to say Ritzay in the benching. And the same goes on Yantiv. I have an obligation to wash on Yantiv and therefore if I forget Yalavi Yavo in the benching, I have to go back and repeat the benching again because I have a Chiv Su'uda. Now, would I have to repeat Alanisim if I forgot that in the benching on Purim or not? What would you say? Says the Mishnabura, this is a big discussion in the Achronim, whether or not we have to repeat the benching if we forget Alanisim on Purim. What is that all about? That is based on this discussion that we just had, what the Primigadam has a suffix about. Do we actually have any real obligation to have bread by the Sudas Purim or not? If you have an obligation to have bread included in the Sudas Purim, that if you forget Alanisim, you have not been Yotze the Suda and you have to repeat it again. But if you assume like the other Achronim, that one who does not, that one does not have an obligation to have bread in the Suda Spurim, then if you forget to say Alanisim in the benching, that would not be a problem either and therefore you don't have to repeat it. Now, the best thing to do is to look in the bencher and not to forget it. But okay, we all make mistakes and things happen and we're not going to remember all the time to do everything that we're supposed to do. So this is a major discussion that the Mishnah has, whether we would say that somebody has to repeat the benching if they forgot Alanisim or perhaps not. And again, as we said, it's directly related to that discussion about whether or not you need to have bread as part of the Suda. Now the Aruch HaShulchan says, I don't even understand the question. He says, you look through Chumash, you look through Tanakh and you find every time that there's a description of a Suda, it always says that there's Lechem involved. So for example, he says, by Lot, when he has people coming into his house, it says, Vayas Lehem Mishteh, and then he quotes from the Navi and Sefer Daniel, and he quotes from here and there. Now, are those such great proofs? I don't know. They didn't have as fancy chefs as we have today making a hundred different dishes and all kinds of different options. What was the option? What were you going to eat? Bread. What else were you going to eat? Meat. Right? What was the other option? Chicken. They were going to slaughter an animal, slaughter a, uh, slaughter a chicken. Then they were going to serve it together with the bread. Maybe they made some cheese. Maybe they made some milk. What else were you going to serve at a meal? There weren't so many things. So you had fruits and vegetables that you were able to pick, but that was it. Bread was a staple of the diet back then. So much so, the Shach writes, 
when we talk about the halacha of Pas Akum, uh, a girl asked me yesterday in Stern College, and I was amazed by the shayla. She starts off by saying that this is a question that she's asking on behalf of a friend. Now, you always know. Okay, I got it. That's fine. I don't have a problem. So I said, great. You know, I'm so happy. So uh, I said, what's the question? So she starts asking the question, and then she switches the tenses, like my father. My, I'm like, okay, great. I'm so happy your friend really primed you very well. So um, anyway, so the question was a fascinating one, and I understand why she didn't want to tell me that it was her. So I played along like it was her friend. Um, but, but her question was that her father is not Jewish. Her mother is. She's a bona fide Jew. And she wanted to know her father is now visiting from out of town and staying in her apartment on the upper east, on the on the east side where she lives. And the question was, is there an Isra of Bishul Akum when her father cooks for her? It's a fascinating question. That's what she wanted to know. It can't really lead to mixed marriages because she says, I'm not going to marry my sister. Right? So even if he has a previous wife or if he's going to have a future wife, I'm not going to marry that person. So it's a great question. So I, I was reminded that Pischei Tshuva actually has the opposite case. Pischei Tshuva writes, what happens when you have a komer? A komer is a priest. And the rule is that a priest has to swear to celibacy in certain parts of the religion. So if you have a komer who happens to be an amazing baker, would I be allowed to eat his bread or not? In that case, there's no concern, maybe I'm going to marry his daughter because he doesn't have a daughter. Now, unfortunately, today we know somehow priests don't get married and still they have things going on. Yes, yeah, so so that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about very religious priests who actually swear to celibacy and are going to stick to it. So the question is, is there any problem to eat the food that is cooked or the bread that is baked by that person if we know that in the end they're not going to have any children? So that's a big discussion in the Pischei Tshuva. I think, it's, if I'm not mistaken, the first Pischei Tshuva in Hilchus Bishalakum or in Hilchus Pasakum, one of them. But anyway, when the Shach says that there's a special heter of Pas Palter, Pas Palter means, even though there's a prohibition of Pas Akum, I'm not allowed to eat the bread that is baked by a non-Jew. When it comes to Pas Palter, if you are the baker and you're not giving it to me on a personal level, but rather I'm buying it from some company or from some bakery, something like that, then maybe there's room to be makel on the Pas Akum and we don't have to worry about it. Why? How do you get rid of the problem? The answer the Shach writes is, because the Pasuk says, Ki levado It's a play on the words of the Pasuk, but bread is a staple of society. And if there's only going to be a non-Jewish baker, what are we all going to eat? There's no Jewish baker in town. So what should I do? You're going to tell me Pasakum is not permissible. Everyone's going to starve. And therefore the Shach writes, that's why Chazal were makel on Pas Palter. Not because they weren't worried that maybe something's going to go wrong, but rather because they were worried maybe I'm going to starve. What I take out of that is the staple of society back then of every meal was clearly pas. And that is why the Shach writes, we have a right to be mekel and we should be mekel on pas palter. That's what he says. So from that, that's why I question the assumption of the Aruch HaShulchan. Aruch HaShulchan says, where do you ever find a meal in Tanakh where it's described without bread? The answer is because what else were they going to serve? That's what the Shach writes. This is what bread is all about. That was the staple of society. That's what they all ate. So I'm not sure that the Orach HaShulchan's Taina is so strong, but it's an interesting point nonetheless. Now finally, the question that is raised by the Achronim is, what is the halacha with regard to basar by Seudas Purim? Do I have an obligation to include meat in the Seudas Purim as well? Now you say, what does that mean? How can you not have meat at Seudas Purim? Says the Ramam as follows, Perak Beis, Hilchus Megillah, Halacha Tezvav. Ketzad Chova Seudazu. How do you imagine a Seudas Purim, says the Rambam? Sheyocha Basar. The Rambam says, number one. You have to eat meat. 
Says the Rambam, you should have meat and you should set up a beautiful meal. Notice the Rambam does not say anything about washing. He does not say anything about bread. Conveniently left it out. And here the Rambam says you should have meat. Very explicit that part of the context of the Purim Su'uda has to be that it includes Basar. Where does that come from? Probably from the Gemara, where the Gemara says that we have to make Yemei Mishteh Simcha. The Gemara tells us that Simcha is only defined as somebody who's going to have Basar V'yayin. That's the way we generally define it throughout the year. Why should it be any different on Purim? And that's why the Ramam comes to the conclusion that we have to have meat. Says the Shulchan Aruch, Semen Tafres Tadivav, Se'iv Zayin. Yesh Misha Omer. There are those who say, She'onen Mutter Bebasar V'yayin Delo Asiyasei Diyachid De'Avelis Vedachiyasei De'Rabim Lishtos Bepurim. Fascinating. Says the Shulchan Aruch here. We're talking about a situation where somebody is Rachman al-Litzlan in Aninus on Purim. Somebody is unfortunately struggling with the loss of a relative. The burial has not happened yet. They're in that twilight zone of not an Avelis yet, but not, they're not anywhere. They're not supposed to make brachas. They're not supposed to do mitzvahs. In that situation, that person who's in Aninus, one of the halachos is they're not allowed to eat basar v'yayin. They're not allowed to eat meat and wine. Now, by the way, let's just make it clear. Shulchan Aruch says, once somebody is in Avelus, of course they're allowed to have meat. And of course they're also allowed to have wine. In fact, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Lo ivri yayin ela avelim. The whole reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu put wine into the world is to be able to alleviate the pain and suffering of people who are in mourning. So I've very often gone to Shiva homes and shared this. You know, there are people who need to take off the edge. There are people who just are, are so sad during Shiva. And giving them a little bit of wine will be something that will be so helpful, obviously in the appropriate amounts, and don't give them too much where they're going to be carried away and not focusing on the Avelis. But to give somebody wine during Avelis is nothing wrong at all. That's exactly what wine was created for. It's to be able to alleviate the pain and suffering, the sting of the difficult and the pain that somebody is going through on a personal level. So the Shulchan Aruch here has a case. What happens if someone is in Aninus? And we know that during the period of Aninus, you're not allowed to have Basar V'yayin because you're in this state where you're supposed to be preparing for the Levaya. It's going to be very hard for you to prepare if you're going to be sitting there having a big meal in a restaurant with Basaviyayin. That's not appropriate. So therefore, what happens if a person is in Aninus and now it's Purim? What do I do? Should we assume that on Purim, we would say that this obligation of having Sudas Purim would override the Aninus? Or would you say, no, you're an Onain. You're not allowed to have Basaviyayin. Says the Shulchan Aruch in that case, we say that an Onain would be allowed to have Basaviyayin. Why? Because a person's own individual Avelus is not going to be stronger than Purim, which is a national simcha, an international simcha for the Jewish people. And therefore we assume that that is going to overpower the private Aninus that you're in the middle of. That's what the Shulchan Aruch says. Now, if you would imagine that we don't have to have Basar at a Sudas Purim, then why would we tell the Onain to have meat? Why wouldn't we just say, have a Sudas Purim without eating the meat? And the answer is, it's clear from the Shulchan Aruch, like the Ramam says, that it's obviously an integral part of the Sudas Purim that we need to have an inclusion of Basar as well. If we don't do that, there's something that is extremely lacking in what we are doing. However, the Magad Abram says, he is not 100% sure that we need to have Basar included in the meal. Not everybody agrees to that. So the Mishnah Bura, you know, goes back and forth. Magad Abram goes back and forth. We should try our best, but if you have somebody who doesn't really appreciate meat, so then I would venture to say they have a right to rely on the other opinions, and maybe they don't have to have meat. And the final discussion that the Mishnabura has, which is very, very important, I'm sorry, the Shulchan Aruch talks about it as well, the Ramah, if a person wants to recite Alanisim, it's what you're supposed to do at the end of the Sudas Purim. However, 
the Shiloh that the Ramah discusses is what happens if the Sudas Purim lingers on way into the night and you don't bench before the Shkia. Are you still supposed to say Alanisim? Or would you say not? Now, you'll say, isn't that the same Shiloh as we have every Shabbos? If I have Shalah Shudas and I didn't bench yet and now it's way after the Shkia, should I say Ritzay or not? The answer is not exactly the same because we have a concept on Shabbos of Tosefa Shabbos. We can extend Shabbos longer than Shabbos actually exists. So you'll say, so long as I haven't yet Davin Mariv, then it would make sense that it's still considered to be Shabbos. I haven't said Havdalah. I didn't say Baruch HaMavdil. Shabbos is still here. I took upon myself Tosefa Shabbos, which now is an add-on to Shabbos itself, so I still have a right to say Ritzay. But we don't have any concept of Tosefa's Purim, as much as people would love to do that. We don't have this idea of Tosefa's Purim or Tosefa's Hanukkah. There's no such concept. So therefore, really, the Chathila, one should make sure, as best as they can, to try to bench before the Shkiyan Purim in order to make sure that they get in the Alanisim without having any discussion about the Ramah, what the Ramah speaks about, whether or not one is supposed to say Alanisim after the Shkia. My father was always Makhbet at home, that although we had tons of people coming in on Purim and there was a lot going on, my father was always Makhbet, that we benched on time, and he was always Makhbet that even if anybody was going to drink at the table, it should be in the right amount and it should be appropriate and that everybody should drink enough that they should be able to still bench properly at the end of the Suda. And if you're not going to be able to do that, you have no right to drink because how can you be mevatel the mitzvah of benching, which is a mitzvah midaraisa of ve'alchalta v'savata ve'rachta. And for that matter, how can you be mevatel the mitzvah of davening mariv afterward, right? So how many people forget about davening mariv and matzei purim? How many people forget about benching at the end of the Suda? It's important that we do so. And it's important that we plan for it accordingly. So this is something that the Ramah definitely speaks about. And he says, if you find yourself in a situation where you did go over beyond the Shkia and you did not bench yet, so then he says, we still would paskin that you go basar tchilas asuda, and since the suda started during the day, therefore we're allowed to say alanisim even balayla. However, lechatchila, the best thing to do is to make sure not to get involved in that situation. Either way, what's very clear is the Shulchan Aruch does say, if you're going to daven mariv, sometimes you have a Purim suda that lingers on, and everybody says, oh, why don't we just daven mariv before everybody leaves, and then oh, whatever, we'll bench whatever we bench. There, if you daven mariv already, that means... You agree that it's already nighttime. You agree that it's over. Then for sure, if you're going to bench after Marv, you can't say Alanisim. This whole discussion that the Ramah has about saying Alanisim after, after the Shkia is only in a situation where you have not accepted upon yourself that it's already night. You're imagining, you're hallucinating that it's still day. But in a situation where you daven Marv already became clear, Purim is over. And in that situation, everybody would agree that you would not be able to recite Alanisim in the benching after the Shkia, after you've already daven Marv. Okay.